Jesus tells in the parable of the sower how the seed of the word is assaulted by birds and weeds and sun. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller, author of The Issues Etc., Book of the Month for September, A Martyr's Faith in a Faithless World. This is the assault on our faith which the Lord wants to fight against and prevent. Some seed, that is, enduring faith, endures to the end, and the Lord teaches us how to have it in His Word. Learn more about a martyr's faith in a faithless world at issuesetc.org. Those of you who are worried about making your kids go to church and how that might leave them hating religion, the numbers actually say precisely the opposite. Those families who treat church as optional, they're the ones were on the road to basically losing their faith. I came to the conclusion that I don't believe that the ELCA is evangelical. I don't believe that it's Lutheran. Is it Christian? You can judge for yourself. I personally am doubting that it is. I mean, I guess it's in America. That's about all you can say for it. Christ has taught me in his living and dying and living again how to pray when you must bear a cross. And he prays, Lord, take this cup from me. But Lord, thy will, not mine. New York City subway riders love issues, etc. We hear from listeners all the time who have a background. They have come to the Lutheran confession from someplace else. A lot of times it's from pop American Christianity, from evangelicalism. But what about Lutherans that go the other way? What about Lutherans that travel toward evangelicalism? And they often do it in complete denial that they're doing it. Sometimes they do it as entire congregations. Little by little, they jettison what is Lutheran and adopt what is, well, the stuff of pop American Christianity. Why do they do it? How do they do it? And why do they often so adamantly maintain that they are still Lutherans. Greeting and welcome to Issues Etc. Live on this Monday afternoon, September the 30th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be answering some of those questions here in the first half hour of the program. Pastor Matt Richard will join us as author of the book, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? We'll spend some time in our series on the Lutheran Confessions in the Augsburg Confession, moving from justification to very closely related topics, the ministry, new obedience, the church, and what the church is. Pastor Paul McCain will be our guest. Then Holly Shear will join us from the Federalist. We'll talk about your children and cancel culture. She says it's never too early to teach your children that what they post online may have long-term and very serious lifetime consequences for them. Joining us for our first conversation on Lutherans becoming faux evangelicals, Dr. Matt Richard. He's pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota, author of the book, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up?, and a recent column titled, When Lutherans Begin to Reject Lutheranism. Dr. Richard, welcome back to Issues Etc., Hey, thanks, Todd. It's good to be here. You've actually done your research for your doctoral dissertation in evangelicals becoming Lutheran and looked into the many reasons for that. Why did that research spark interest for you in Lutherans becoming evangelical? Yeah, very good question. You know, in examining the journey from American evangelicalism to Lutheranism, there's definitely different facets, different uh, components that are involved in making that journey. Uh, The typical person coming into Lutheranism was approximately two to three years, and then there would have to be a a deconstruction of 
previous doctrine and then a reconstruction of Lutheran doctrine in its place. And that would happen across the spectrums of their worldview, how they use language, how they understand the liturgy, their emotions, and so forth. And so it's a highly complex thing that occurs when a person comes into the Lutheran Church, especially from American evangelicalism, pop American evangelicalism. And uh, it's been about six years since I did that research. And over the last six, seven years, I've been just kind of observing, now being a part of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Center myself, uh, making a journey into uh, professional Lutheranism. It's been a time of self-reflecting, watching the churches around me, observing this phenomenon of Lutheran churches who have had this historical roots of this liturgy, um, also the uh, confession grounded in our Book of Concord, watching some of these churches uh, not only flirt with American evangelicalism, but often take that journey towards it. And so, it kind of dawned on me the other day, thinking through this, that, you know, if there's a journey into Lutheranism, uh, perhaps could there be a journey out of it? And that's where I kind of step back and start assessing some of these different stages, uh, if you will. I, I am curious about those coming to Lutheranism from evangelicalism in that sense, that I guess what most attracted them, for lack of a better way of framing it. Yeah, the research basically showed that uh, there there had to be something that kind of jarred them to get them to look at Lutheranism. And for the most part, the majority of the research participants uh, ended up interviewing approximately 400 ex-American evangelicals, and the majority of them said that there was a despairing feeling, a, a bankruptcy of their, their American evangelical theology, that it, it wasn't able to help them in those really, really dark moments of life uh, where this life and this veil of tears, when life knocks you on your back, the theology just was not able to maintain in those situations. So there was a very despairing moment that happened for many of them that caused them to look outside of their current American evangelical theology, and that's where they stumbled upon components or aspects of our Lutheran theology, not necessarily maybe even a Lutheran church, but maybe a speaker who, you know, hit different highlights of our Lutheran theology, which got them to open their ears and seek that out. And then once they, you know, got their mind wrapped around or started grabbing a hold of our, our, our wonderful, precious sacramental theology about how Christ does it for us, uh, this pursuing gospel of Jesus pursuing sin. Once they got a hold of that, uh, it was it was all over. It just it just pulled them into it, and so really at the root of many of these American evangelicals was a despairing feature of their theology, a crisis in their theology that made them open their ears and listen for something else, which was our definitely our Lutheran theology that we have. Ironically, you have observed lately that when Lutherans go the other direction, when they go toward American evangelicalism. It isn't a crisis, but kind of an apathy or even, you say, a boredom that sets in for them. Describe that. Yeah. Now, this is one thing that I would love to do to find somehow to research this. This is just more my own personal observations of watching this this last six years. So it'd be wonderful to, you know, dig your teeth into this a little bit more and get some more concrete data. But nonetheless, at least in my observation, what I've seen is, yeah, definitely a boredom. I, I know it's been said before that uh, by numerous authors that it takes three generations for somebody to forget the gospel. The first generation knows the gospel. The second generation assumes the gospel. 
and the third generation while they forget the gospel. Well, I think there's also a parallel to this, uh, that, that one generation can appreciate Lutheranism, the second generation can get bored with it, and maybe the third generation or the third stage would be uh, to change it, and that's exactly what happens. There's a sense where we can become apathetic or we can become in that sense where we look at things in the liturgy being wrote, and then we become, again, very apathetic and very bored with it and uh, displaced. And then our eyes, our coveting eyes, they start looking to different churches, and we believe this myth that other churches are full of vibrancy and fire and excitement, and then we long to actually have that. So we become disgruntled in our boredom, and we want to have a stimulation that would stimulate us out of that boredom and thus that's where the journey begins, out of Lutheranism into evangelicalism. Is that apathy or boredom, according to your observation, often the result of not being fully informed as to, say, what happens on a Sunday morning in a Lutheran church? What's actually going on that this isn't simply walking through certain motions or dry ritual? Yeah, I think I think that's twofold. I think I think on the one hand, I mean, we've heard this before numerous times where people will get frustrated with the liturgy and they'll say, well, it's just rote. Well, the problem is not the liturgy itself. The problem is not the scriptures, the creeds, uh, the Kyrie. These things uh, do not create boredom. It's it's the boredom is inherent in the person, and so there's always there always needs to be rediscovery of every generation and each of us as individuals. We need to rediscover what we are saying. And I know this is for myself. You know, many times, you know, praying the Lord's Prayer seven, eight, nine, ten. 12 times a week, you know, usually every day, I find myself many times I'll just be saying the words and then I catch myself. I'm saying, well, do I actually realize what am I saying? What am I praying here? And, and, and there's a sobering moment where we all have to take a, a pause and say, do I, do I know what I'm saying? Do I know what I'm confessing? And if I don't, if I become bored with it or if I become basically numb to it, then the burden is on me to rediscover, uh, to, to go back and recatechize myself in that which I'm confessing, that which I'm praying. And so, uh, really, the question then really comes, is the onus on me as the person who is a member of that church, um, always making sure that I'm aware of what I'm confessing and teaching, or is the onus on, on the church to simply say, you know what, they got to catch up with the times, we need to recreate this, we need to do something different. Uh, and I would say that the onus is on us as individuals to always reflect what we're confessing, what we're praying, what we're saying, and what we're doing on Sundays, to definitely be aware of that. The next step you observe is that practices change. What things in particular are you talking about? Well, it can be almost anything. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is this, is there's a very, very big uh, mistake that is made uh, primarily among us as Lutherans, and that is this. is And I used to make this mistake myself, too, believe this myth that doctrine and practice are separated. In other words, as long as I maintain a solid doctrine, it doesn't matter what I do with practice. And so what ends up happening is this, is if we can isolate our doctrine in our mind, saying, you know what, I'm going to be a Lutheran in my doctrine, that's uh, over here in this compartment, but then in practice, I can embrace these other things in practice, and I don't have to worry about the practice because it cannot impact the doctrine. Now, here's the, the fallacy in this kind of thinking, is that all practice is derived from doctrine. And so if I take a different practice from, let's just say, a Baptist church, and I incorporate that into a Lutheran church, what I am actually incorporating is not a neutral 
practice, I'm actually incorporating a Baptist practice that is birthed out of Baptist theology. And so that theology, the Baptist Church now, is being placed within the context of that Lutheran Church service. So I have Baptist theology in the form of its practice, and then off to the side I have my Lutheran doctrine. Now what I'm not realizing is that it's like putting oil and water together in the same container. They don't mix. They, they're not uh, cohesive. There's no symmetry between the two of them. And so you create a great deal of uh, confusion and problems when you mix practice and doctrine that are not the same. Because again, doctrine always influences practice. And then also practice has a subtle way of coming back around kind of a, a, a circle, a parallel pattern around, and it can actually impact our doctrine. And so we got to be very careful. So it could be almost anything what we do for uh, practice, but nonetheless, it, 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 we have to keep in mind that it does impact the church. And very briefly, before we go to the break, often the objection is raised here that these changes in practice are merely changes in audiophron. What is that, and why is that not a sufficient reason? Yeah, we always have to keep in mind that audiophra speaks to that which is neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. Now, that is true, absolutely, but with that stated, just because something is audiophra does not necessarily mean that it's beneficial for the church service. We still reserve the right as Christians, and we should do this, that even if you have an audiophra, we can then still discern whether that audiophra is beneficial for a church service on the basis of our doctrine. And so uh, there's all sorts of things that we could argue that are audiophra, neither commanded or forbidden in Scripture, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they should all be in a church service per se. And so, again, there, there's a, a definitely a danger here where we say twofold. One, practice is neutral. It doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. And we fail to realize that there's actually doctrine embedded in that practice. And then we also fail then when we say this audi offer is almost like a license to do whatever we want. And, and, and just simply doesn't work that way. We, we always reserve the right to judge that audi offer again, whether or not it's beneficial for the actual local church service. Dr. Matt Richard is our guest, author of a recent column titled When Lutherans Begin to Reject Lutheranism. We're talking about Lutherans becoming faux evangelicals. On the other side of the break, the next step when Lutherans begin to reject Lutheranism is they become what he calls faux evangelicals. We'll find out what it means after this. Issues, etc. Regular guest, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, is the author of our book of the month for September, A Martyr's Faith in a Faithless World. It's published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. Or learn more about A Martyr's Faith in a Faithless World at issuesetc.org. Deepen your understanding of Lutheran theology with the new book, A Martyr's Faith in a Faithless World by Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. LCMS Disaster Response provides guidance and assistance to congregations who seek to proclaim the gospel and show mercy in the wake of disasters. We can bring capacity to your congregation through on-site assessment, volunteer training and congregation preparedness, and through grants direct to your congregation. For more information, follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org disaster. Christ-centered. Cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc.
Do you long for a church that celebrates the divine service with reverence and joy, but without the unbiblical baggage imposed by a supposedly infallible hierarchy? Do you long for a church that confesses a divinely instituted office of the holy ministry for the giving of the Lord's gifts to his people and yet values and lifts high the priesthood of all believers? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We're what you've been looking for. Find an historic, authentic church near you on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org. Oh Lord, open my lips. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Talking about when Lutherans become faux evangelicals, Dr. Matt Richard is our guest. Matt, what do you mean by that term faux evangelicals and why is it important to understand how on the transition from rejecting Lutheranism, you don't really at first become an evangelical per se, you become kind of, are you trying to say kind of a poor man's version of evangelicals? Yeah. Yeah, the word faux, I mean, it's such a fun word. It means uh, imitation or not genuine. I'm reminded when I went down to Southern California to serve a church uh, in Southern California, Los Angeles area. And uh, you got to keep in mind for the listeners, I'm a North Dakota boy, and I grew up uh, right on the Canadian border. And so I got down to California, and I wanted to become a Californian. So I grew up my hair to surfer hair. And uh, I tried to play the part, but uh, to be honest with you, I mean, the, the youth that I worked with in that church, um, I was more of a laughingstock uh, to them. They, I was more of a the joke uh, in that church that here's this North Dakota boy trying to be a, a surfer. You know, my, my skin was pasty white. I had a strong North Dakota Canadian accent, and I my car that I drove was uh, not definitely not a beach car. It was an old a car from the Northland, and so it was actually quite humorous to see me trying really, really hard to look like a Californian, especially to aspire to that surfer culture, and I stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean, it was very obvious. And the same thing happens here um, with faux evangelicals, is that when Lutherans uh, begin to dabble in uh, evangelical practices, oftentimes they'll grab a hold of them and they incorporate them in their church service, and they're just not comfortable with the language, they're not comfortable with with the, the, the mannerisms, uh, they're not comfortable or understanding of the theology, so they're, they're still in kind of one side, they still have their foot in their Lutheran theology, but yet they're trying to implement maybe a Baptist practice, which they, is completely foreign to them, again, the language, the theology, and so forth, and so they just look awkward, uh, extremely awkward, and it's very painful to see. Uh, I know in the, the past years I've visited Lutheran churches who are trying to emerge in this quote-unquote relevancy, incorporating evangelical practices, and it's just, it is so incredibly painful to watch uh, the, the pastors and the leaders trying to uh, embrace this. And the, the point of the matter is this, is when you're a faux evangelical, when you try to be faux anything, you have to try so incredibly hard to act the part and be something that you're not 
and again, it comes across to the rest of the culture, the rest of the people that see that as extremely disingenuous, uh, extremely basically an imitation, a second-class evangelical, and uh, it's again, it's very painful to watch. It's at this stage I've observed that you start to sense that for the pastor, the congregation, their Lutheran theology is more a hindrance than a help to what they want to do. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because at this point in time, again, you, what's what's being introduced is, and you know, we can talk a little bit more about this, but it's something called cognitive dissonance. Uh, you have your Lutheran theology, then which ends up being something that actually hinders or restricts the practice. So the practice, they want to embrace the evangelical practices, but their Lutheran theology won't let them because there's a clashing of the two theologies. And so then what ends up happening, they almost become embarrassed of their Lutheran theology, very embarrassed of it. They, they, they diminish their Lutheran theology and so forth. And again, it's just a very awkward place. And uh, for any person coming off the street, seeing that, uh, it, it definitely screams uh, just a disingenuous, very disjointed uh, foe-type uh, mentality. So at some point, you say core Lutheran doctrines need to go. How does that happen? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that we have to keep in mind, and I hit this earlier, we have a thing called cognitive dissonance, and basically this is uh, thinking of oil and water. They don't mix. They can't mix. They can't synthesize together, and so they're always going to be at odds. And so what ends up happening is when you combine, again, because this goes back to what we said before, is that doctrine and practice, they work hand in hand. The doctrine always shapes and forms the practice, and the practice always communicates the church the doctrine. And so Again, they go around and round and round. They work together. But when you displace a Lutheran practice with, let's just say, a Baptist practice, you are then incorporating dissonance in the church service. And so, as a result, a church, and not only a church, but us as individuals, we cannot go long-term with this tension. And oftentimes, this tension is not necessarily recognized, but it's definitely felt. And so, then what ends up happening is one has to go. Either you have to get rid of that you have to get rid of that uh, Baptist practice or the evangelical practice to bring it back to that symmetry where the doctrine practice work hand in hand, or you have to remove the doctrine. And more often than not, when individuals are leaving Lutheranism, they start uh, shedding their Lutheran doctrine in order to bring uh, a sense of uh, tranquility and peace in the church service. And so typically what this looks like is it's a diminishing of that Lutheran doctrine itself. And what will end up happening is many times they'll shift that Lutheran doctrine to maybe like the 8 o'clock service, and they'll, they'll, they'll diminish it to maybe one of their, their smaller services and say, well, we'll maintain it there, but at the uh, 10.30 service or the 11 o'clock service, then we will go away with it. So we're not necessarily rejecting it, we're maintaining it in that early traditional service, but then in our contemporary services, we're going to have more symmetry, more of a service where everything flows. Well, essentially what's happening, it's the omitting of that Lutheran doctrine in order to fully incorporate an evangelical church service. They quarantine it to to its, its own little special place there, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of saying it, quarantine it. It, 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 it. It's bringing it off the side, so then therefore that doctrine can no longer cause any tension. Again, we, we always have to keep in mind, doctrine drives that practice, and doctrine is always shaping and forming and uh, leading the church. And so if you've introduced, again, practice that is in 
opposition to that doctrine, then you have to either fix the practice, repent and go back to your former practice, or bring that doctrine which threatens that practice, bring that doctrine off to its own side, put it in a box, seal it up, and typically it gets put off at some 8 o'clock uh, church service or maybe the Saturday night service, and you label it traditional, and then you're free from it. So why do people who have taken this path so often, even at this point, insist that they are still very much Lutheran? Well, that's the thing, is I think oftentimes what happens is, going back to stage one, oftentimes I think individuals uh, who have grown up in the Lutheran Church, they don't insist on wanting to become Baptists. And so they get bored and they go down this path, and a lot of ways this path can be very seductive, pulling you along from stage to stage to stage. And so then when you arrive at stage five, which is that defensive spirit, when somebody confronts you and says, you know, what are you guys doing as a church or what are you doing as an individual, I think they've gone so far down the road that they haven't realized how far they've drifted. And so the only other result is this, is to defend their practice, to defend what they've done. And so there's a need to justify themselves and need to justify what they've actually done, when in essence what they should have done is they should have been truthful with themselves and maybe just perhaps left the Lutheran Church and joined a Baptist Church. But again, that goes back to that stage one, that I think the boredom, generally speaking, the boredom takes them down this path with no intention of wanting to become a Baptist Church, but through this progression of stages, once they're seduced into it, it pulls them along and uh, they get to this point where they realize they've gone so far, and then, again, that self-defensiveness comes out because they don't want to admit the seductive path that they've actually taken. What you're talking about here is not an isolated thing. It's happened in congregation after congregation on a very rather large scale among Lutherans, and those evangelicals we talked about at first that are coming out of evangelicalism into Lutheranism. What is their reaction when they see a Lutheran congregation becoming faux-evangelical? Yeah, the evangelicals, um, at least that I've interviewed, um, that have come into Lutheranism, they're, they're absolutely appalled. I mean, they're borderline angry. And, and, and think about this, too. I mean, anger is, in of itself, there's times when we are angry and it's sinful. We take that anger to a sinful end. There's other times where we are not angry and we should be. And in this case, uh, these, these former evangelicals who are now Lutherans are very angry, and they are indeed very justified in that anger seeing what has happened, because many of them have spent years in blood, sweat, and tears, and, you know, they've had to forsake different uh, relationships and a lot of pain, a lot of what we call tentatio, the struggle of the soul to get into a Lutheran church, and then to see it right there in their own backyard, it's extremely, one, very offensive. Two, it's also, it takes their whole journey of everything they've gone through, it, 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 it diminishes that. And then I think more than anything else, there's an astonishment from these former evangelicals simply saying, why on earth are you trying to leave these precious gifts that are right before you, right here in the liturgy? You don't realize the gifts that you have that are actually right there before you. Why on earth would you want to leave such wonderful, precious, powerful gifts of this Word and sacrament that is right there for you? Why would you exchange that for anything else? There's almost an astonishment of seeing these churches and individuals wanting to leave that, frankly, to go back towards that American evangelicalism, which in of itself is just, how else do I say this? It, it, it's, it's second. It's a second 
second class. It's not, it's not the richness of the gospel that we even have. In fact, many times they're leaving it for uh, not the gospel, to leave it just for a moral therapeutic deism, something that is not soul-saving, not salvation for, for us. Dr. Matt Richard is pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota, author of the book, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up?, and a recent column titled, When Lutherans Begin to Reject Lutheranism. You can read it and purchase his book at issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Matt, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Todd. It's good to be here. Our series on the Lutheran Confessions continues when we come back. We're going to be moving from justification, but not leaving it behind, because the very next article in the Augsburg Confession in the course of our study after justification begins so that we might obtain such faith, the faith by which we are justified. So talk about the ministry, new obedience, the church, and what the church is. Gospel reductionism replaces the Bible as the source and norm of theology with the gospel. What would a gospel reductionist edition of Luther's small catechism look like? Find out in the latest issues, etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Russell Dawn details his journey from Anglicanism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Lutheran Federal Credit Union was formed to serve you and to serve the church. During September, when you open a Lutheran FCU loan or when you use your Lutheran FCU credit card for a qualifying amount of purchases, Lutheran FCU will give you cash back and give that same amount of money to their Ministry of the Month, Grace Place Wellness Ministries. Learn more at LutheranFCU.org, serving the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod community, Lutheran Federal Credit Union, LutheranFCU.org. You're invited to Oktoberfest featuring the Waterloo German Band Friday night, October 18th at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. Oktoberfest features a traditional German buffet dinner, silent and oral auctions, and of course, beer. Tickets are $15. Attendance is limited to $200. Proceeds benefit St. Paul Lutheran School, the only classical Lutheran school in greater St. Louis. Learn more and purchase tickets at school.stpaulhamill.org. Oktoberfest is sponsored in part by Seavers Equipment, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, Ernst Heating and Cooling, Lutheran Public Radio, St. Paul's Ladies Aid, Chick-fil-A, and Baker Construction. Oktoberfest, Friday night, October 18th at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. School.stpaulhamill.org Evangelical and Catholic. You're listening to Issues Etc., Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by joining the Issues Etc. 300. Hope Lutheran, Birmingham, Alabama. Risen Christ Lutheran, Arvada, Colorado. Emmanuel Lutheran, Arcadia, Indiana. Grace Lutheran, Auburn, Michigan. St. John Lutheran, Corcoran, Minnesota. Holy Shepherd Lutheran, Haslett, Texas. Trinity Lutheran, Casper, Wyoming. Redeemer Lutheran, Los Alamos, New Mexico. Peace Lutheran, Rapid City, South Dakota and Calvary Lutheran, Lidditz, Pennsylvania. 
Find out how your church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click support, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation joins the Issues Etc. 300, we'll publicize your church on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal.